Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Ben Heller. Ben is currently a right-handed pitcher. He's pitched in the major leagues. He's currently rehabbing. He's, uh, he's had some unfortunate luck the past few years with Tommy John surgery and a few other arm injuries that he gets into in this episode, but I thought he is perfect for this podcast because he is someone who pitched, you know, wasn't highly recruited at all out of high school. He ended up having to go play college baseball at a small NAIA school, was drafted out of this NAIA school, 22nd round by the Cleveland Indians, continued to develop, continued to get better in the minor leagues, put up numbers, and just rose through the ranks and eventually made it to the major league. So it's a great story. Uh, you know, he, he shares some very, very good insight in this episode on himself and, um, you know, why it's important to know who you are as a, as a person, as a player, and being able to separate both of them. And lastly, just understanding who you are as a, as a pitcher when you're on the mound and, and always sticking to your strengths. So great insight. Um, I always enjoy talking to, to players, and, and Ben is someone who you can tell by listening by listening to him and for over an extended period of time he's he's very intelligent and he's a very aware person so um, appreciate him coming on the show if you haven't already make sure to, to follow me on Twitter at P Jones baseball and as always if you if you guys or girls have any questions out there send me an email jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com um, would love to, to help in any way that I possibly could so Ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Ben Heller. All right, we now welcome on Ben Heller. Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Excited to be here. So I was uh, looking at on your Twitter profile, and you got the uh, the Bitcoin symbol. So I, I assume you're pretty big into into Bitcoin. How long have have you been uh, been a Bitcoin guy? <laughs> yeah, well, what a, what a way to start the podcast off. But yeah, I guess, uh, you know, COVID, March 2020, all of us went home from spring training and it was kind of like, what what do we do now? Um, you know, what do we do with our time? And uh, increasing my financial literacy has always been something in the back of my mind. You know, I, I always kind of knew I needed to, to understand money and investing a little bit better than than what you learn in traditional schooling and i i was a psychology major in in college so i didn't necessarily learn about money there so i really uh started to dive into kind of like the finance and economic stuff um during during covid you know read some books and just kind of started going down different rabbit holes and um eventually you know that kind of kind of led me to bitcoin and um, basically just seeing that there's some incredibly smart people involved in the space and, uh, you know, a lot of what, what they talk about going on in the world and, and the economy really resonated with me. And, um, at the end of the day, I, you know, I guess my, my main goal is to, um, you know, have, have myself and my family in the best financial position possible over the course of our entire life. And, you know, ultimately that, that kind of, led me to the decision to get involved with Bitcoin. And yeah, it's been been an interesting journey ever since. I feel like it's challenged me to learn about not only economics and finance, but also kind of, you know, politics and game theory and um, all kinds of other stuff that 
you never really associate with uh, just with with, uh, you know, Bitcoin. You see, I, I, I was just watching yesterday. Aaron Rodgers just came out. He's another athlete, said he's going to get part of his salary paid in Bitcoin. Would that be something that you would want to have happen to you? Yeah, I think it could be interesting for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely like it's cool to see so many athletes. Like, I feel like athletes are kind of like leading the way for uh, you know for Bitcoin adoption, and especially it seems like NFL. There's been a lot of NFL guys. I mean, Tom Brady's all over commercials for crypto exchanges and stuff. But um, yeah, I think um, it's definitely becoming more like mainstream and I guess socially acceptable for a while. There was like definitely a stigma around Bitcoin. But now that people are starting to understand what it actually is and that it's something that can help like 99% of the population um, have a have a more fair store of store of value for the for the work that they put in and and the value that they earn um so yeah i guess i could maybe if, if there was an exchange that I would want to partner with ben heller i could i'd be on board for that <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what i got uh when this past year when dogecoin went was going crazy i bought some of that and then when i saw elon was pumping it and was going to get on go on saturday night live <laughs> i bought a bunch more and then oh, it just man. plummeted like crazy so i lost it all so that was the oh yeah i'm just staying in bitcoin right now like i have bitcoin yeah. i'm not doing doge or any of these mm -hmm. other weird coins so i'm just gonna stick with bitcoin yeah, and, yeah. And, um, I hopefully think i can rely on smart <laughs> people like you to make sure i'm on the right track going forward oh geez i don't know i wouldn't put myself in that category i'm i'm looking to way smarter people than myself every day for this. But yeah, I think uh, sticking with Bitcoin is the best strategy and long, long time horizon. This is saving, saving your, your store value for the rest of your life. It's not to try and flip and make a quick buck. So that's all I'd say on that. Playing the long game. I love, I love yeah. playing the long game. Yeah. Yeah. How's, uh, how's your rehab going? I know you, you know, you mentioned before we started recording your, your rehabbing, um, you know, it seems like you've had a few different injuries the past several years, but how is, um, how's your rehab going? Yeah, so it's going really well at the moment. Um, so just to give a brief um, little background, I, so I, I had Tommy John surgery in April of 2018. That was kind of like my first, you know, major, major injury, arm injury and all that. And um, rehab that for about a year and a half, um, ended up finishing the 2019 season healthy and, you know, successful. Um, then that, that brought us to 2020, obviously, which was just a weird year. Um, I did pitch, um, most of the 2020 season. I had a little, um, I actually had a nerve injury in my bicep at the end of the season, although it was pretty minor. Um, but, um, you know, worked my way back from that, but then fast forward to spring training of 2021 and I was signed with the diamondbacks and, I, one day when I was long tossing, I, I felt like a real sharp, um, pain in, in my elbow and way worse than, than even when I needed Tommy John. Um, and so, you know, I ended up getting it checked out and it turns out that I had suffered a stress fracture in my, in the bone, in my medial elbow, which, um, after talking to the doctor about it, apparently it's a, it's a fairly uncommon injury, but can happen sometimes, um, to guys post TJ who, when the ligament is like so strong and so tight that it actually, that the ligament can like kind of tug on the bone and the bone is actually the weakest link itself. So it kind of started to like rip the bone off of itself. So long story short, uh, 
had to just rehab that. Thankfully, no surgery, but um, it's going really well now. I've been throwing bullpens for about a month and, uh, you know, just working back to, to full strength now and, you know, getting the getting the uh, arsenal shaped up and, um, yeah, just really trying to be able to hit the ground running for spring training next year. So hindsight's obviously 2020, but I'm just asking this question because I'm sure there's other people on who are going to be listening to this who know someone or maybe they've had Tommy John. Would you have just waited longer and rehab more before you started throwing? Um, since you said you thought this was because of, of having Tommy John in the past. Yeah. So um, I think really where, where the problem was for me. So um, mixed in there between the arm injuries, I actually had a, uh, a back injury in back in uh, January of this year. I, uh, I tweaked my, my disc in my back a little bit and ended up taking about two weeks off of throwing just to uh, just to try and let, let the back heal and rest up and everything. And um, after coming back from that time off of throwing, I, I think I just jumped right into, um, too high of an intensity too quick. And that was, that was really where my problem was. Um, so I wouldn't say it was anything having to do with the, you know, with the TJ rehab, I would say with that, you know, I, I definitely took my time. It, it was a full, like almost 18 month process there and felt great, um, working back from that, um, but then I think, you know, it was like I hadn't built up my chronic workload um, properly after after taking the two weeks off following my back injury and, and basically just try to do too much too soon. And, um, you know, all the, the tissues and, um, you know, stru- bony structures, I guess, weren't weren't quite ready for it. Mentally, how has uh, the rehab process been? I know that that can be something that's not maybe not talked about as much from athletes just because you know they're behind the scenes rehabbing but I know I'm sure that can be like really like get to you at times so how like mentally how have how have you been yeah I mean it's uh yeah there's no doubt that that the mental side is probably the biggest challenge um facing rehab and you know it's it's interesting like when you first hurt yourself you kind of you think about the physical challenges that you're going to face. Right. And you get like a timeline and you're like, okay, I'll be, I'll be back to hundred percent in, in six months or 12 months or whatever. And you just kind of think about like all the work that it's going to be physically. But I think athletes are usually pretty on board for, for putting in the physical work. You know, we, that's what we like to do. We like to work out and train and stuff. But um, I think once you kind of like get into the uh, meat of the rehab, you start to really uh, realize how how challenging it actually is mentally, like far more so than physically. And I think w- when I was rehabbing Tommy John, I it really hit me um, around like the probably the three or four month mark. And it was actually right when I started throwing. Um, so, you know, you take off, you're not allowed to throw for maybe like you know, three or four months following TJ, let everything heal up. And then you do start throwing and it just feels like, like your elbow still feels horrible. And for me, it was like a wave of realizing how much further I still had to go. Like when I, when I could barely lob the ball and it still hurt. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be in this rehab life for at least another year still. Like, holy cow, you know, this is insane. And, um, 
I would say really like the biggest challenge mentally is just trying to find the motivation to, to lock it in like every single day and, and bring everything you have to the table every day. Um, because you need to physically in order to, to make progress. But when you're so far away from, from getting back in games, it can be, can be challenging. And, you know, being away from your teammates, not feeling like you're, you're helping your team or doing anything really like it's, you know, the other side is kind of like your ego too, right? Like you have, when, when you're playing, there is definitely an aspect of like fans, you know, the, the energy that fans bring and like the, the pursuit of your dream to, to get to the big leagues and, you know, seeing your name in the, in the box score and maybe seeing, you know, talking to media and like, you know, it's, it's just this whole journey of like working towards your dream. But then when you're rehabbing, everything goes on pause. Nobody, it's, it's almost like the baseball world forgets that, that you exist. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it is a challenge. And um, for me, it's, it's also kind of forced me to like figure out my, my identity outside of baseball. And, you know, I think it can be, it's so easy as players to wrap up our entire identity in baseball. Um, that's what we do and that's what we love. And that's what most of the, the world sees us as, is a baseball player. And when that's taken away from you, you have to you realize, you know, real quick that, that you actually are more than a baseball player and that there's a whole lot more to life than that. Um, and, but yeah, it can just be, it can be a challenge a little bit to, uh, to go through the process and, and figure out all of that, but um, it's definitely for the best. And I think I've come out of my rehab um, much stronger mentally and a, a more well-rounded person. I feel like I'm a better husband, friend, brother, dad, you know, it's, I feel like I've seen, improvements in in my personal life and just like my my enjoyment of of all other things in life do you think uh, that what like you've you've been you've seen those improvements because um you've realized like hey like i need to find other stuff i enjoy doing outside of baseball yeah i would say find finding stuff that i enjoy outside of baseball and also just being more present in everything that I'm doing. Um, you know, my, my mental journey, I guess you could say has kind of, um, you know, you, you kind of think about the two, the two ends of like mental challenges, you know, you've got like anxiety, which is, is really like being nervous about the future or being worried about what is yet to come. And then you've kind of got depression, which is like, you know, wishing that things were different in the past or, being upset that things have happened the way that they are. And I think all it's human nature to kind of, you know, drift from one to the other. It doesn't necessarily have to be extreme, but um, my, my journey has kind of like led me to, to understanding like the way to, to get out of those two mindsets is to really just be fully engaged with whatever you're doing in the present moment and whoever you're with. Um, and so I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, not only like interests outside of baseball, but like when I'm at home with my family, I, I just want to be fully absorbed in like what I'm doing and enjoying that moment. Not, you know, not letting my mind wander to, you know, what, what am I going to be feeling tomorrow in my elbow when I, you know, have to throw at 90 feet for the first time, or man, my, you know, my shoulder really hurt yesterday. And I'm so worried about how it's going to, how it's going to be tomorrow. Like, 
when, when you're in the moment of training and, and you're working on these things and you're rehabbing, that is absolutely the, the time and place to like 100% focus in and, and put all your energy into, uh, into what you're doing into your, you know, baseball side of things. But then I think just like being able to separate from that when, when you're not training or when you're away from the field, um, that's kind of maybe what I, what I was missing, like in the past was I could never, I could never get my mind out of baseball mode. Like I was always thinking about mechanics or, you know, my stats or, uh, you know, how hard I was throwing or what I did, diff- what I did wrong in the game that I could have done differently. Like there's always something that, that you can be thinking about. And I think that's where you kind of start to like sacrifice the quality of, of the relationships or the other things that, that are important to you in life. Yeah. I, th- I think staying present is such a powerful skill. And I, I something that I, I too am trying to work on and be better at, what like are there different tactics that you use to help yourself stay present because i mean it's it's so important to be able to do that and i'm sure other people listening to this would like to do it more too so i mean how did you make Mm -hmm. that transition from not just thinking about mechanics and and pitch design and all this other stuff you know your elbow to being able to stay present when you're when you're just with your family or when you're just you know working out Yeah. I mean, as far as like actual, you know, drills or like methods to train it, I would say, um, you know, maybe it's a little corny, but meditation is really a powerful tool. And there's, there's actually a lot of, uh, apps out there now that, that can really help guide you. Um, I use one called headspace. I think it's pretty well known, but it'll just take you through like, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute, like little, meditation. And basically the entire goal is to just turn off your brain, like to just be fully like in the moment to focus on your breathing to, or when, when thoughts come into your head to just let them go. And, and I think, you know, until you, until you actually try to do this, you don't realize how, how much we're just constantly filling our heads with something. Um, and, and so, yeah, I would say like, kind of, like once, once I started incorporating that into my routine and I like understood what it felt like to, to like kind of let thoughts of of the future or past go and to try and just like direct my focus back to, to whatever I was doing in the present moment. Um, it was, it was kind of a, a game changer to do that. And I think that's just helped me like be more aware of my thoughts. Um, especially when I'm, you know, like when I'm with my family or, or doing other things like, reading like I like to read but I find myself sometimes like daydreaming or like drifting off about other things if I you know if I'm like caught up in a in a boring part of a book or something your your mind just kind of wanders so um I think you know be, just being aware of your thoughts and then from there it's it's just about like being intentional about it for me like when I'm with my family I I want to try and like you know stay off the phone keep my thoughts about um, baseball or anything else away, like really just try and like do everything possible to be fully immersed in, in whatever I'm doing. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that. And I, uh, I, I loved everything you, you just said. I think that's, that resonates a with me when I think it's going to resonate with other people too, of, of the, the meditation and it makes sense, right? I mean, it's a kind of like anything, mm-hmm. any other skill or trait in life where it's like, yeah, you have to, set aside time to work on it 
And I think mm-hmm. meditation is a great way to go about it. Or if you want, you know, someone out there listening wants to call it something else, that's fine too, but it's the same mm-hmm. concept. So I think, I mean, that, that that's huge. Did, did you just uh, think of that on your own or did you have someone uh, recommend that to you? I mean, <clears throat> I had, uh, so coming up in the minor leagues with the Indians, they had a, uh, a mental skills coach, CC Clark was her name. And she always, you know, kind of preached the importance of it and, you know, of meditation among other things that go into the mental game. And I had done it sporadically, like, you know, when, when it was kind of like a required activity, I guess, in the minor leagues and, but maybe never like fully bought in. Um, and so, yeah, I guess like when I got hurt and kind of like started realizing more of this, more of this stuff that was going on mentally for me, I, I decided it was probably worth like pursuing it a little more seriously. But yeah, I think like you are a little skeptical, like, I don't know, just the word meditation to me is kind of like, I don't know, it just seems like a weird thing. Like maybe it's just the, the age, like the era that we grew up in, like where for a while there was like a little bit of a stigma around like stuff like that, or even like talking about like mental, you know, mental health or like mental skills and stuff. But I feel like now it's, it's just becoming so obvious that the mental side of the game is, is just as important as the physical, like that. And that's in game, but then even just when talking about an individual's life, I mean, having, having good mental health is everything. And um, so, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of benefits there. When you, when you reflect back on your career so far, like, you know, as a pitcher on the mound, throwing innings year after year, like what, what are some things that, that you've learned about yourself as a pitcher? Yeah. So I guess I would say like the biggest thing is that, that I could attribute to uh, when I pitched well and when I pitched poorly is um, confidence. It like really kind of just like the, to put it into one word, it would, it would be confidence. And I really remember like, so I just a quick background. I, I uh, was not a, a, star pitcher in high school by any means. I, I didn't make my varsity team until I, I was a junior and didn't get recruited by any big time school. So I ended up going to Olivet Nazarene University, which is an NAI school, um, ended up getting drafted as a senior sign, 22nd round, you know, kind of like just a total flyer pick for the Indians. Um, just not even close to being projected as, as a future big leaguer when I first got drafted. And, um, I had a pretty decent first half season in uh, in short season, um, but really where where I kind of flipped the switch is uh, was in low A in my first full season playing in Lake County, and I remember um, working with my pitching coach there, and I was at the time I was, I mean, I wouldn't say like doubtful of myself, but I definitely wasn't like you know super confident in my in my abilities there. I just kind of saw myself as like run of the mill, like, you know, kind of like a middle innings reliever in in low a ball, like didn't really know what was going to be coming next. And my pitching coach basically told me like, you know, like you can be a big leaguer if you, if you believe it. And if you want it, like you have the same stuff as, as big league pitchers, like you throw hard enough, your breaking ball is good enough. And all you have to do is like, believe it and go out there and and do it. And I think when I went, when we kind of like when that clicked for me, it was, 
it really just like changed my, my in-game mindset really um, to basically like every time I pitched then for the rest of that year, I basically like went in with the, with the mindset of knowing for a fact that I was going to strike out every hitter that I faced. And it sounds weird. And of course I didn't actually strike out every hitter that I faced, but every hitter that, that I faced, like is, you know, every new at bat, I fully believed that I was going to strike him out. And I just think, and maybe it's just the way that I'm wired. Um, but I, I really think that just kind of like totally changed my, like the, the way that I was able to pitch, like I became so much more aggressive attacking the zone. I was never afraid of walking guys. I was never afraid of giving up hits. Um, I wasn't like, I was constantly on, on the attack, aggressive, um, going after every hitter. And I, and I feel like there is like a certain intimidation factor. Like I think hitters can kind of pick up on that. Like when a pitcher has so much confidence that he's like, coming right after you, you know, it's like that little, oh, yeah. that mental game, like you as a hitter, I'm sure, you know, like when you're feeling good and a, and a pitcher is intimidated by you and you can tell they're kind of trying to work around the zone and afraid to leave one over the plate. And then it's the same for a pitcher. Like if you, if you go out with it, with that attack mode. Um, so throughout the years, I've, I wish I could say that I've been able to, to like bottle up that feeling and always have that mindset. But the truth is, it comes and goes, um, throughout the years. And, you know, it can be, it can be influenced by lots of other things that are going on. And I've, uh, my, my opportunities to pitch in the big leagues have, uh, as of now, I, I still feel like I haven't fully, um, like been able to go out there with that, with that same level of confidence and like aggressiveness that I've had throughout my minor league career. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm really, you know, continuing to work on and really hope that I have the opportunity to go out there because I, I do believe like, you know, I, I can be a, a really high level big league pitcher when I'm, when I'm out there pitching the best that I can. Um, but it, it is hard to like, kind of always like channel that, that mindset that allows you to be the very best that you can be. Yeah. Well, it's, it's almost like having the mindset of being the very best that you can be that day. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's not, yeah. you're not, like it's not gonna be like Ben Heller's like like 100 percent of like all time every time you go out there and throw, but it's like if you can just give a hundred percent of of whatever you got that day, you know, because as you know, mm-hmm. I mean the throughout the season and you know, injuries and things like that. I mean, you're you're gonna have days where it's just like, man, I don't feel the pitches, I don't I, the strike zone, I'm not getting those calls. The hitters seems like they're picking it up right away, but it's like still finding a way to to compete those days and, and get it done. And I was looking up a lot of your numbers and I, I would definitely um, concur with you in the sense that, you know, you, you probably really haven't gotten like a, a chance, you know, I'm sure injuries have been a, been a part of it, but like a full, like, yeah, like let's throw Ben out there every fifth day and see what he's got for a significant amount of time. And I, and I think just looking at your numbers, if I looked at the numbers and then compared to like everyone else in the minor leagues, it's like, I think if you were to get that shot, like you would, it would prove that you would be a, a very good pitcher in the major league. So I'm hoping for you that, you know, this next year is going to be the year. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I definitely, I hope so. And, you know, that's, but that, and that's how, how um, the career of a, a, a baseball player goes, you know, <clears throat> everyone wants to get that, like, 
amazing opportunity where you're just gifted like these opportunities. But the reality is, unless you're a superstar prospect, you're probably, you know, you're going to have to go knock the doors down and um, really prove something like, at, you know, at a, at a high level that for why they need to give you an opportunity. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can, can't really say I'm, um, you know, I, I regret anything about how it's, how it's gone so far, but yeah, I would say back to your point of like finding your best every day, like, especially as a relief pitcher too, when you're going to be feeling different physically every day, you're going to be coming in, in different situations every day. Um, you know, it's, it really is like, find what pitch is working for you, um, you know, be able to adapt to the situation and, you know, you come in with bases loaded, no outs, you still have to have that same mindset as if you were coming in for a fresh inning in a, you know, with a big lead or something. Um, so yeah, it's, it's different every day, but it's just trying to, it's about trying to find that, that best version of yourself that day and to, to let it, let it go out there. Did your stuff change a decent amount from the time you were in college to when you were in, in pro bowl? Yeah. I, um, so I was a starter in college and that was the, that was probably, you know, the, the most drastic like change was as soon as I got drafted, I, they stuck me in the bullpen um, and my velo started to tick up a little bit right away. I was, you know, low nineties in, in college. And then um, the first, I guess, my first full year of pro ball is really where I saw a velo boost, just kind of like learning how to actually like bump up that the intensity to another level where, where I would only have to use it for one inning Um, that. So, you know, kind of bumping up the velo and then also my, my off speed stuff, mainly my slider. Um, I basically didn't really even have a slider in college, (laughs) um, which was the big reason why I was such a low pick and, really didn't even have that good of college stats, to be honest. Like I was, I mean, I was okay, but for pitching at the NAI level, you would probably would think that I'd, you know, be dominating every game, but yeah, I never really had a breaking ball in college. So learning that and, and like really working on it, um, my first couple of years, um, was, was really the biggest thing developmentally. And then just kind of learning, you know, learning how to, how to use those two pitches together. But it ended up kind of working out that like my fastball and slider were both like pretty above average pitches. And then from there, that, that was really what, what let me pitch with so much confidence. Like once I, once I learned the pitches and, and my pitching coaches were like, you know, these, you know, your slider and fastball are just as good as like really good big league pitchers, fastball and slider. So there's no reason why you shouldn't have confidence in it. That that is such a cool story you shared about how your pitching coach like literally just told you that like you can essentially pitch in the big leagues and like from that like that clicked for you like the rest of the year and you went out and just pretty much dominated. Um, I mean that's I mean that like if like <laughs> yeah. all the stuff from like a coaching standpoint like it wasn't X's and O's it wasn't like teaching you all these new mechanics it was just like essentially just like believing in you you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rigo Beltran was his name. He's, he's in triple a now for the Indians, but great pitching coach. And I think it, it just kind of goes to show like coaches, I mean, and it's not a bad thing that, that coaches are focused mostly on like physical stuff. You know, we're trying to coaches want to help, you know, figure out like mechanical adjustments or like approaches, you know, all these like X's and O's type of things, but maybe for some players, all you really need is like, 
to to know that they believe in you and that they see something in you and um to for the for the coach to communicate that with the player i think can be um such a huge difference maker i read um one of the things that you said that you you have noticed like over your years that how coaches will want to put a stamp on you from a pitching standpoint yeah. could you could you elaborate on, on what you meant by that yeah so um you know i guess in 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 the minor leagues but even in like high school ball like the life of a baseball player, you're going to, you're going to come across so many different coaches. You know, you got your, your high school varsity coach, your travel ball coach, maybe your, your trainer that you work with at your gym. Maybe your dad is also kind of a coach for you. And then, you know, same thing through the minor leagues, every level, you have a different coach, you have the coordinators, you've got, you know, the strength coaches, the trainers, everyone has their own philosophy. And, you know, hopefully within an organization, there's, there's definitely like a really strong, um, top to bottom, like philosophy on how you develop pitchers. But the reality is all of these different coaches are going to have at least a slightly different opinion on what, what a player needs and what, a what's going to make a player better and how to go about implementing that change. And it can, it can definitely be a lot to, uh, a lot of advice to take in. And I think a mistake that I made, like, especially in like college, high school and college was trying to be like the most coachable guy that any coach has ever seen. So like, it didn't matter what coach I was working with. If somebody gave me like advice or told me something that, that they thought, you know, could help me improve, I would go all in on it. I would, you know, I would put in like as much time as possible to try and give it my all. I would, you know, fully like reorient my, my entire like philosophy and training method to try and pursue, um, you know, pursue this mechanical change. Um, but then by like, by, I guess, late college, I started to see that like a lot of these coaching advice things that I, that I got were actually contradicting each other. And, you know, you get one coach who, who was telling you like, you need to be quicker to the plate and, you know, do X, Y, Z. And then another coach was saying like, you just, really got to slow down and stay back or, you know, do, do cer certain things differently. And, um, I think that's kind of where I realized that maybe being like that coachable wasn't actually a good thing. And maybe, um, it, and so I guess I just kind of like realigned my, uh, like my, my mindset to like, not just blindly, like trying to implement whatever coaches told me, but like still being open to what, whatever people told me, like I fully, you know, I have respect for every coach that I've ever worked with. And I think that's as a player, you, you need to respect every coach that you work with, but in, instead of just like immediately trying to implement um, changes or advice, I would really like just think about it as much as possible. And, you know, as you go along throughout your career, you, you just, you start to learn more, you learn more about yourself, you learn more about, successful pitchers and you learn more about training concepts in general or mechanical stuff like you're always learning so i i kind of started to to just take advice and like run it through all these different like uh mental models and like you know filter it through like my my years of learning and, and experience and if it seemed like something like really uh made sense and and like clicked with all of my um you know all of my understandings and learnings up to that point, then I would maybe try and figure out how I could implement it 
And, and even at that point, maybe it wasn't like a full send of let's go all in on this. It's like, okay, maybe we can, you know, just implement a couple more drills in my warm up to try and help me feel like my back glute get engaged a little more. And then, you know, then when we go out and throw, we don't focus on, you know, that internal cue of like, feel your glute. It's just like, you know, these small things that you can do. Um, and then of course there's going to be advice that coaches give that, that just really, you know, is, is not going to help you. And, um, I'm sure the coaches are well-intentioned, but the fact is, you know, for me, like when, when coaches tell me like to just be like, you know, to slow down on the mound or like, you know, to try and try and take a little off. That was, that was a big thing for me. Cause I've, I tend to struggle with command at times. Like when I, when I, you know, when things are going bad, it's usually that I start to like lose command of the zone a little bit. And the common coaching advice for that is, well, you know, just take a little off, like just, you know, try to groove one in there in the corner, just like spot one up. But when I try to do that, I just lose all control. That's when I like borderline get the yips. So, um, you know, that that's one thing, like when coaches tell me that I know they mean well and they want the best for me, but it's like, I just have to totally forget that, put it out of my mind and stick to my, my philosophy that I've, I've figured out works best for me is I have to be in like extra attack mode all the time, be like as aggressive as possible to the zone. Like if I'm, you know, if I'm struggling with command, I got to be even more aggressive, like just try to challenge the hitter right over the heart of the plate rather than like, you know, take a little off and nip the corner. So, yeah. So it sounds like, you know, you need to essentially just be your own coach, right? And you have a filter that when you get information that it has to go through that, that filter where for you to actually apply that, like it's got to make it through that, you know, be inside your own framework and structure that you've essentially been able to build over the course of your career on, on what's worked and what hasn't worked. Yeah, I would, that's a great way of putting it is be your own coach. Like with, at the end of the day, nobody cares more about your career and your development than yourself. So, um, you know, there's coaches are here to help us, but they're not going to be, you know, they're, they're not the ones who are going to be getting released if you, if you don't perform. So, you know, you need to, you need to take account accountability for yourself and your development. And yeah, I think that means just running all these things through your filters. Do you look at some of the analytics and like your own numbers and, and horizontal break, vertical break on, on your, all, all your pitches? Yeah, I look at them um, at least a little bit. I think it's interesting, like thinking about kind of like the, the years or like the era, I guess, that I like came up in. I feel like my, the most, most of my development um, came during like the transition from like old school to new school, like you know, 2000, like seven to 2015, where like, there kind of was like a little change and shift, like Texas baseball ranch, driveline baseball, Eric Cressy, like when all of those type of things were like in their infancy stage, that's when I was like super into those things. And I think it, it for sure, like helped me develop a kind of like a training edge, um, at the time. But now, like, you know, now that, the entire baseball industry is like fully blown into all like the most cutting edge. Everyone's using technology. Everyone's using like all these, like, you know, modern day, like methods and data and stuff. And um, so I think, you know, you, you have to use it, but I think it's also about like knowing what works for you. And like, 
I didn't really have any of that stuff when I was in the minor leagues and like being at, you know, like when I was, when I was developing basically. And I guess I, not that I'm like a fully ever a fully finished product. Like there's always room for improvement, but I feel like when you're, when you go into like the data so much, it can be tempting to like, want to always try and reinvent the wheel or like chasing numbers. Like I, I, so I guess my approach is to like use them for like information and like, know, kind of knowing my baseline. I think that's, that's where it helps is like knowing how my pitches are supposed to move and how they move when I'm pitching well. And then if, if for some reason they're not looking like that, then we kind of figure out like, you know, what do we need to do to get back on track? But you know, I think the, the challenge is like, you see those numbers, you see your, your vertical break and it's like, oh man, how do I increase that number? Do I tinker with my grip a little bit? Maybe try to put some pressure here and there. And that can just lead to a whole host of new problems. Yeah. And especially at your level, if you get to the big leagues, it's like, are you getting outs? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, uh, you could have the yeah. greatest vertical break in the history of baseball. If you're not getting outs, I mean, nobody cares. <laughs> What about when you're, do you look at the information that when you're um, like scouting hitters or like game planning for hitters, is that something that you will use it for more so than just on yourself? Yeah, I think, I think scouting reports for, for hitters is definitely like that's, you know, with that information there, you, you have to use it. And the Yankees did an incredible job of like giving us information. Um, I mean, they would, they would kind of package it in different ways. Like you could just, you could look at a heat map of, of a hitter's strike zone and basically see like exactly where they, you know, struggle or where they do well. Um, They would also put together like little videos. Like, so before every, every series that we faced a new team, they would put together a a video of like um, that hitter facing similar pitchers with similar repertoires as yourself. And and basically just like show how they did with different pitches. So you can see how, you know, Manny Machado does with sliders of my similar velocity and amount of break when, you know, when you throw them down and away, as opposed to hang them, you know, every pitch that you throw, they kind of give examples of like what the hitter does with those, with those different pitches. And so I think that's like a huge application of like, basically just learning how to, how to overlay your strengths with the hitters weaknesses and just like uh, basically allow you for the the biggest window of success. So when you're on the mound and let's say like facing like a Manny Machado or something like that, and you, you know, it's two, two count, like you said, so do you like remember exactly like, okay, two, two count. I remember watching on the video. Like if I throw another slider mm-hmm. that starts middle, you know, it's going to break away. He's going to, you know, potentially like be out in front of it. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, I, it's more just like for me, so I kind of have like my, my default approach that I call it where basically I'm like attacking the zone, like fastballs down and away, sliders down and away, you know, earlier in the count. And then later in the count, you try to, you expand the zone sliders in the dirt or fastballs elevated. That's kind of like my default approach that has worked well throughout my entire career. And so basically like with scouting reports, I look for guys who maybe um, kind of buck that trend a little bit, like guys who will actually like, you know, a fastball down and away actually isn't a great pitch against them. Like they'll, they'll sit back and just take it the other way. Um, or, you know, guys who absolutely will not chase breaking balls out of the zone, 
um, but are maybe, you know, a little bit more selective with their fastballs in the zone. So I guess, cause I, I don't like to make it too complicated for in the game. You know, like I said, when, when I'm in the game, I just like being aggressive, being in attack mode, try and eliminate as many thoughts as possible. Like just have my, have my mindset be like, just on, on attacking and being confident. And I think that's part of what makes me a, a relief pitcher too. Like I know starting pitchers probably have to be thinking about these things when you're facing a guy three times a game and, you know, you might face the same hitter 20 times in a season. Like you really have to be much more cognizant of, of all these things and the, the intricacies of the scouting report. But as a relief pitcher, um, what, what makes me click is just being, being in attack mode. And you kind of just try to find that zone where you're like, where you're not thinking and you're just like letting it happen. But um, so, yeah, I guess just like kind of knowing, like having a note of which guys you have to change your approach on a little bit, like, you know, maybe some guys are just so, so aggressive on fastballs that you just attack them with pure breaking balls, like early in the count. And then you finish them with like an elevated fastball or something like so just just knowing which guys you have to approach differently. Yeah, that makes sense from a you know a relief uh, pitchers mentality versus starting pitchers mentality. Um, you know, that game planning that that's a good point. What about when uh, there's runners on base, right? Are you cognizant at all of the runners on base? Are you like, hey, like I I'm just focusing on the hitter. Like he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I <laughs> got to be a little cognizant. I, I did struggle with giving up a lot of stolen bases early in my career in the minor leagues because I would be so focused entirely on the on the hitter, which I still think the hit, you know, the hitter is priority number one by far. Um, but just same thing is like knowing which which guys, which runners will try and be more aggressive on the base pass and um, maybe giving them a little bit more attention, but not letting it take away from what you're trying to do with the hitter. So yeah, at the end of the day, the, you know, it, and it, it just like, you, you still have to have like that same mindset and approach of like being aggressive and confident with, with the hitter and the pitches that you're throwing, no matter who's on base. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I see what you're saying. I'm just I'm wondering just because, you know, you see some guys stolen bases these days that you're trying to get the jump lead and, you know, get the stolen bases. And actually this past year in the minor leagues where I was at in low A, you could only pick off two times per plate appearance anyway. Really? That was, a that, new rule. That was like yeah, a new was experimental, experimental rule. rule. It was it was it, I Man, was not a fan. Brief. Nobody was a fan of that rule. It's ridiculous. Uh, don't get me started on uh, just stop <laughs> changing the rules. Come on. Like baseball, b- like baseball has been the same game for a hundred years. Like we don't need to change the rules. Come on. It's great the way it is. Let's <laughs> yeah. just keep exactly. Exactly. Just keep man. Yeah. Well, Ben, Hey, this has been a lot of fun, man. And I, uh, yeah. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, again, your journey is, is inspiring, you know, coming from an NAI school, um, getting drafted, you know, mid to late rounds and and still making it to the major leagues. I mean, that's just incredible. I, I It's great because I, I'm able to work with players in the offseason. A lot of them are in, at the high school age. And to be able to show them stories like yourself of someone who, um, you know, wasn't highly recruited, went to an NAIA school and and still made it, you know, to the major leagues. It's very, very cool. And, um, you know, it's I'm not surprised just listening to you talk because you, you, you sound very educated. You sound like someone who is um, very aware of what they do very well and, and 
what they don't do well. And I think that's a, a trait of a very good player um, that I've seen. So again, appreciate you coming on and um, you know, we'll have to do it again sometime when, when Bitcoin goes, gets to a hundred thousand. <laughs> let's do it. Let's uh, <laughs> let's mark it on the calendar. Bitcoin hundred thousand uh, Patrick Jones podcast appearance, right. but thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, I hope, if there's one kid out there who can get a little bit of, uh, you know, value out of, out of this podcast, that's what it's all about. I, I love being able to share my journey because, you know, when I was, when I was a high school and college kid, I, you know, I would look for, for inspiration or advice from others. And, um, yeah, I would just say like to any kid who has the, has the passion and, and will actually put in the work, just cut, cut out all the extra noise, you know, doesn't matter you know, D1 or NAIA, doesn't matter what sort of scouting attention you're getting or what, you know, what your stats are like, just put your head down and keep working like every single day, find a way to get better. And you do that for, for several years in a row, just like Bitcoin, you're playing the long game. You put in the work every day and over time you will always trend up. And that's, that's all you can really do as a player. <laughs> Oh, love it. Love it. Appreciate it, man. It's great stuff. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks, Patrick.